Today, we'll learn from a parable about a wealthy man who misused his money. It's a striking and alarming story. Jesus told it in hopes of putting every listener at a fork in the road, where you have to decide who will be my master. Either you serve God or you serve wealth. It can't be both. You have to choose one or the other. And the decision you make will have real consequences now and forever, too. Jesus had been teaching about wealth, and his comments didn't sit well with some religious folks. This is Luke 16, verse 13. No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. He begins with a general principle. The relationship between a master and a servant is exclusive, by definition. A servant has one and only one master. Everyone knows this, but Jesus wants his listeners to apply this principle to their faith. Your relationship with God, the true master, must be exclusive. It's not possible to serve God and then someone or something else at the same time. That's like trying to walk on two different paths that go off in different directions. It can't be done. Allegiance to God can't be divided. That's the principle. And now Jesus applies the rule to one of the most powerful false gods who's really good at dividing allegiance. Listen. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, Jesus brings up wealth in this moment for a reason. There were some religious folks in the crowd listening. They didn't know it, but they had made the wrong choice about whom to serve. And Jesus wanted to save them from the wrong choice. He wants the same for all of us, too. Listen to how Luke describes their response. This is verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all this, and they ridiculed him. Now, in Greek, that phrase is literally, they turned their noses up at him. Money has tremendous power, for good and for ill. On its own, it's neutral, but the quality it assumes in a person's life depends on the heart of the one who possesses it. Whom does he serve? That's the question. Either God or wealth. Now, in Greek, the word wealth is mammon. It's from an old Aramaic noun that literally means that in which one places his trust. The men listening to Jesus claimed that God was their master, but it's their money that they've put their trust in. Their wealth has mastered them. That's what it means to say they were lovers of money. Now, you know that wealth has the same power today as it had back then? Its promises are so powerful that it can easily take the place in your heart, which was meant only for God. When a person chooses the path of trusting his riches, it has implications now and forever. And those implications are serious. 
Let's look at the parable which Jesus told. It begins with the introduction of two very different characters. This is chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. The rich man and Lazarus. It would be hard to create two characters who were further apart. The rich man is extravagantly wealthy, and he does everything he can to let people know it. The only color in his wardrobe is purple. Only kings could afford purple since the dye was so hard to produce. Every outfit he owns screams, I'm rich. Beneath his robes, he wears fine linen. In Greek, buzos, the highest quality Egyptian cotton, used for luxury undergarments. Even his underpants are fancy. Seven days a week, he feasts sumptuously. Most people listening could barely afford one sumptuous meal a year. For him, it's every single day. Now, meanwhile, at his gate, there is a poor man named Lazarus. The residents of his village must have felt pity for him. He's so malnourished and sick he can't even walk. So they carry him to the rich man's gate each day. Day. His best hope for receiving help is here. Because anyone who sees him can see his need. He is covered with sores, so hungry that the scraps from the rich man's table would be a feast to him. But there he lays day after day without any help from the man who feasts inside. There's one more fact that Jesus relates. This is the end of verse 21. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. When a dog licks you, it's a sign of affection and care. When a dog has a wound, he licks it because that helps it heal. Jesus adds this last detail to magnify the neglect exhibited by the rich man. Even his guard dogs do more for the poor man at his gate than he does. Remember now, Jesus is telling this story to a group of religious folks whose hearts have been infected with the love of money, so that even though they believe in God, in truth, they serve wealth and not God. He wants them to wake up and to see the road that they are on. That's what he's doing with this story. And he wants them to see it so they'll get off that road before it's too late. And so what he does next is to take this story forward in a direction that would have been immediately familiar. It becomes a pearly gate story, like one of the many first century folk tales picturing what happens after death. All of his listeners would have been familiar with those kinds of stories. And this is verse 22. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up 
and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Hades is the Greek word for the land of the dead, the place of darkness, of shadows, of nothingness. The seat beside Abraham is the place of honor at the heavenly banquet hosted by Messiah. Lazarus is sitting next to Abraham on the right side of the pearly gates. The rich man is in the depths of the earth down low in anguish on the wrong side of the gates. The rich folks in that crowd listening to Jesus will be shocked because they will have grown up believing that wealth is a sure sign of God's blessing and favor, while poverty is a sign of God's curse. These two characters seem to be in the wrong place. But here is Jesus' picture of what is at the end of the road for the person who's sure he's on God's right side while at the same time having given his heart to wealth. This is what will come for the person who serves mammon and therefore is not able to serve God. From down in Hades, the rich man makes three requests. Let's look at the first. This is verse 24. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. Here is the first time the rich man acknowledges the existence of Lazarus. But instead of asking Abraham to be forgiven for never helping him, he asks instead that Lazarus be sent on an errand for him, to bring him water. Think about this. Every day in life, the rich man walked through his gate and went right past Lazarus in anguish because of his hunger and thirst, and he never stopped to help him, not once. But now when he finally looks to Lazarus, all he sees is someone who should help him. Now, Jesus is showing us how the love of money can blind a person to the humanity of the needy. When you love money, you don't see people. And you don't have to be super wealthy to be blinded by mammon. When I was in high school, I got a summer job at Happy Snacks on Sandy Hook Beach. I managed the concession stand at Area B with one of my best friends, Jason. Now, we only got paid $5 an hour, which we thought was a total crime. The french fries we sold were five bucks an order. And on a busy day, we'd sell 500. And so we made up for it by hustling for tips. One Saturday, I cleaned out a giant glass jar that had caramel sauce in it. And I put tips there and set it right in the middle of the countertop. And it worked pretty well. On the way home that day, I was driving with Jason in the passenger seat. We had the top down in my convertible, and as we were exiting the park, I began to count the tips while I was driving. I'm steering with my knees, 46, 47, 48, 49. Look out, Jason screams. I look up. There's a family 
diving out of the way in the crosswalk. I swerve around them. Jason reaches over, grabs the money from my hand, and he throws it up into the air. And I look in the rearview mirror, and there's a great big cloud of green dollar bills going everywhere. And he grabs my shoulder, and he says, you care too much about money. Keep driving. It doesn't take much for wealth to become a person's master. And when it does, it blinds you from seeing the people around you. And that's what happened to the rich man in Jesus' story. Every day, he was blind to the needs of the man right there at his gate. And even in death, he's still blind which is why Abraham responds to him like he does. Look at verses 25 and following. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. There's no going from Abraham's side down to the depths of Hades. It's too late for help to be given that way. Think back to your daily routine, Abraham tells him. You had every good thing a person could want, and Lazarus had nothing. What you failed to see then is that your excess was given to you by God in part so you could help Lazarus. But you did nothing. Now in death, he is comforted here. You want his help, but it's too late. And it's also too late to change now. Why? Now here the rich man's failure in Jesus' story is a picture of the failure in the people listening to Jesus when he tells his story. The ones who had been serving mammon instead of God. The ones who had been placing their trust in their riches instead of the living God. This man's problem is not that he's rich. Whether a person's wealthy or not isn't the issue in itself. Money is neutral, but what it all comes down to is whom you serve. The rich man served the wrong God, the false God of wealth. That's the only explanation for his daily neglect of the poor man there at his gate. Only the person who serves mammon can regard the suffering of another person as having nothing at all to do with him. On the other hand, when a person has given his heart to God, he sees his money as a tool to bless others. And then he will be on the lookout, especially for ways to help the needy. Because the God we serve is a God who helps those who are in need. And the way he helps is through his people who have more than enough, who trust him, and because of that, share their excess. It's as simple as that. The rich man in Jesus' story has a heart that is completely given over to wealth, and so he only cares about himself. If it wasn't obvious in his first request, it's more so in his second. This is verse 27. 
He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Okay, he says, If you won't send Lazarus to get me water, then send him to warn my brothers. Again, he's thinking only of himself, focused only on the people that matter to him. Lazarus is still just an object in his eyes, a potentially useful helper. Abraham's response reminds him of a truth that should have helped him in his own lifetime. This is verse 29. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. Moses and the prophets is shorthand for the scriptures. Anyone who reads the Bible will see that God especially cares for the poor and needy and that God expects every person who has enough to share with those who do not. The rich man's brothers and all of the religious folks listening to Jesus' story need only to open their hearts to God's word, where God's guidance is plain enough. But again, the rich man persists and makes a third request. One more exchange. In verse 30, he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. The scriptures are not enough, he says to Abraham. If someone comes back from the grave, then they will change. Listen to Abraham's response, verse 31. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now, if you know where Jesus' story ends, you can tell that Jesus is thinking about what's coming down the road for him. Because he knows that when he rises from the grave, even the people who know him will have a hard time believing it. And more importantly, he knows that when money is your master, you can't see the truth, even when it's staring you right in the face. The person whose heart is given to mammon will be closed off even to the one who rises from the dead. That's where the parable ends. With a rich man, who was sure he would have been at the banquet with Abraham on the wrong side of the pearly gates. Forever. The story gives a stern and alarming warning, but Jesus did not tell it to condemn anyone. He told it to wake up every person who had given their hearts to the power of wealth, who'd put their trust in money. It was too late for the rich man in Jesus' story, but it's not too late for any one of us. And what Jesus wants for all of us is for our hearts to be turned toward God. When that happens, then our money becomes our servant instead of our master. And the more you have, the more good you can do. And that's what God wants. Uh, listen very carefully to God's word from 1 Timothy. This is chapter 6, verse 17. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, rich is a relative term. But no matter how little you have, if you are listening to me this morning, 
relative to many in the world, you are rich. Here God says, do not look down on others, but be humble instead. Do not feel proud, but be grateful. Never set your hopes on money. Set your hopes on God, who has given you everything you have to enjoy and to share. Now listen carefully now. This is verses 18 and 19. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. Don't use all your money for yourself. Share. Be rich in generosity and good works. When there is a need which you are able to meet, do what you can to meet it, and then you will take hold of the life that really is life, now and in the future too. This is God's word for every one of us personally and for Renaissance Church altogether as well. A word which we must hear and which we must allow to push us to the place where we choose to serve God and not wealth. Now there's one more detail in Jesus' story that is really important. See, Jesus gave Lazarus something that he never gave to anyone else in all of his parables. A name. In every other parable he told, the characters that Jesus created were left nameless. A priest, a Levite, a Samaritan, a tax collector, and a Pharisee, a father, a young son, an older brother, a woman looking for a coin, a servant with too much debt. None of them gets a name, only Lazarus. Now that name is a shorthand version of a very popular Hebrew name at the time, Eleazar, and it means the one whom God helps. Can you see why Jesus gave the poor man this name? The one whom God helps? In his lifetime, he doesn't look like the person who God is helping. And what Jesus wanted his listeners to ask is, why isn't God helping Lazarus? Because when we ask that question of God, he always turns it right back onto us. Yes, he says. Are you ready to be the answer to your question? Why aren't you helping Lazarus? Because the way God helps the needy is through those who have enough to share and have decided to serve God instead of mammon. And that is what Jesus wants. You either serve God or your wealth. The choice is yours. Before we sing another song, let's join our hearts together now in prayer. God, we thank you for everything which you have given to us 
and we thank you for this parable which Jesus told. We ask that each one of us would be awoken by what you shared so that we would see all of the power that we have because of our wealth as an opportunity to help those who need help. God, forgive us for the times when we've overlooked those who are desperate and needy. Teach us instead to see where there are needs and then to use the blessings with which you've blessed us to help others. God, teach us, each one of us individually, to serve you with our money and then teach Renaissance Church as a church altogether to become a generous and a bright light to your nature in the world as we become a church that cares in the way that we can for those who are needy. We thank you for the opportunity to make a new decision again. Push us toward generosity, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.